Well, to be fair, lots of people lots of people have a plan, right? But the plan is in their head. Yeah, and therefore it changes. It changes all the time. It's it's not the same plan. It, it evolves over time and it changes. So for me, the act of actually writing it down allows you to critically analyse it to start with, but it also makes it concrete. It takes it from being abstract to being something quite concrete and real. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Russell Cummings is an experienced management consultant and business coach with Shift Consulting, spelled with two Fs. Russ has spent the last 35 years working with dynamic family businesses that want to grow. He is Australian-based, but currently services clients across Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the United Kingdom. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground, like the two ways OKRs can help small businesses, a walkthrough of how he cascades OKRs, how to approach tracking metrics when you're first starting out, and the dangers of being efficient in the wrong places at the wrong times. We'll also get to hear some interesting stories, like the time he worked with a client who came to him because they hadn't taken a proper holiday in 10 years. These were some of their key measures they tracked. Games of golf played per week and the number of holidays taken. On the business side of things, they substantially increased profitability. Let's jump in. I'm so happy today because I get to talk to you, Russell Cummings. Thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is like really cool because technology has allowed someone from Berlin and someone from Australia. Like, where are you actually sitting in Australia right now? Um, I'm at a place called Burley Heads on the Gold Coast in Queensland. So I'm on the beaches of Australia. Yeah. This is so unfair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Thank you again for being on the show. This is really awesome. So a lot, a lot of people are probably asking, like, who is Russell Cummings? And, I get that a lot, yeah. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, and can you talk us through your journey a bit? Like, how did you get to where you are today? So, um, as I said, Russell Cummings, um, my company's called Shift with two Fs. And, um, and so what, um, what I do is I've, I've been a business coach and a management consultant for the last 35 years, which is really scary when I say a number like that, but that's what it's been. And um, it's been it's been a great journey. So I started out as an agricultural consultant. So I went to university and I studied uh, a degree in wool and pastoral sciences, which is an applied Bachelor of Science degree. And I originally got a job as doing research for the university Worked out I was I didn't want to do that, and one of the guys I worked with suggested I might make a, a good farm consultant, and I liked the idea of that. So I eventually got a job as a farm consultant, and uh, so I sat down with used to sit down with farming families and help them plan their businesses. And I worked out I wasn't very good at the technical stuff of what you drench the sheep with and spray the crops with and all that sort of stuff, but I had a head for the strategy and planning side of things. And the company that I worked for, we actually started training our farmers in what you call mainstream business planning and business skills. And this was 
30 odd years ago. And it was fantastic and I enjoyed it. And I found I had a bit of a knack for it. I started doing more and more of that with my farmers. And then what we started to do was I started getting referrals in outside of um, outside of farming into agribusness, into food processes and, and you know, those sorts of allied businesses. And then uh, I left the company, went out by myself and started working with a whole range of food businesses. So that was that was pretty exciting and pretty much fun working working by myself. And then I um, I guess as, as part of that, I, I started working with larger businesses, um, corporates, uh, done a lot of work in defence. I was a partner in a change management, boutique change management firm called Change Drivers. We did a lot of work in defense, some large corporate stuff, a bit of government. I still had quite a strong family business following um, and, and client base, and so I kept that. And then uh, many, too many years ago now, but uh, about 17 years ago, I decided to leave the partnership and I moved my family 2,000 kilometers, 1,600 miles north, and uh, we... Um, uh, lived on the beach and took life a bit easier and I decided I was going to go back into doing what I love best which was working with family businesses so now I work with family businesses or privately owned businesses that want to grow and take themselves to that next level so dynamic businesses that's quite a journey so you started yeah. out in farm consulting and yeah. then you with corporates defense government agencies and now you're kind of doing what you love to do working with these of high growth family businesses, I imagine that some of the challenges like are very different, obviously, just by virtue of the scale and the type of work that these organizations are are doing. But maybe there are things that are similar or some challenges that you see just as a common red thread through all of these different organizations and agencies. Can you kind of share a little bit of, of what you've seen out there that are they're really struggling with? And that seems to be very common. The similarities of, of large businesses and small businesses are that it's all about money and profitability. And therefore, mm. we need to be generating enough profit in order to sustain our future growth and development and all that sort of stuff. Not the same with, I guess, with a government business because the money's given. They need to make sure they're using it as effectively as possible to, to execute the goals and things that they have and then some people will argument would argue that government's not quite as efficient as it needs to be but that's a, probably a discussion for another day and then not-for-profits they still have to what i found i haven't done a lot of work with not-for-profits but the, the few that i have one of the things i've really noticed is there that that they still even though they're not-for-profit they still, we still need to run them like a normal business and probably even better in some ways because every dollar of profit you make you can reinvest back into delivering whatever great purpose that that charity or not-for-profit has. So lots of similarity in terms of the things that we need to do, in terms of we need to have a clear plan, a clear structure. We need to be focusing on, you know, marketing and revenue growth and those sorts of things. And and I guess operational efficiency is critical in all those. And then the last piece is always getting our people on board, so engaging our teams because businesses are nothing without their people. So those commonalities across all of it and and. I guess I see things like tools like OKRs and stuff fitting into that strategy part, but also part into the communication piece uh, as well in terms of communicating where we're going and helping people measure where they're going. So lots of commonalities, but yeah, they are really different. So really, it's, it kind of boils down to you've got capital. How do you deploy it? You have goals. How do you reach them? And how do you get people to go along for the ride? Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it. Mm. Yeah. You want a job doing this? It'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> so since you're working with family businesses now, yeah, I hear this a lot. 
some folks are really skeptical about you know, what size of an organization does it make sense to use OKRs. Like, especially if you're a small to medium-sized business, they're like, you know, it, they're asking themselves, can OKRs be useful for my small or medium-sized business? What would your response be to uh, that question? I think they are useful and I do use them with, with smaller businesses, but I think you use them in a different way. So I tend to I tend to see there are two ways to use OKRs. Well, there's probably more, but I'm you know I'm I'm saying two. The first one is the way I use it, which is to create a measure some systems of measurements which we can cascade through the business in order to get some clear clear measures for how we're going, some show progress towards targets, all that sort of stuff. That's the that's the way to do it. That's the way I use it. But you can also use it to help drive your strategy. So what what actions will we take that will help drive our strategy? So there are are two ways to um, to do that, and sometimes in smaller businesses, the the strategy piece is not that complex, and the execution piece is not that complex. That we need to have a highly structured and layered process, if you like, for for executing that. But I think you, we do need to have some decent measures, and sometimes those measures may only cascade down one layer within a small business, or even you know I've got small businesses where we've just set some some measurement at the top so so we really got some objectives some key results some target you know some measures and some targets that that will help us achieve that and we haven't bothered to cascade much further down because it's it's not it's overkill so i think your answer to your question is they are useful how you deploy them depends on the level of detail you need to get to to get the outcomes that that you want and i think sometimes people push the level of detail way too hard so really, it's just be pragmatic about it, right? Yeah, what what yeah. you need to, to get what you want out of this, like you had mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think too many people get carried away with the notion of of it's a it's a it's a system and a process. And I have to follow it to the nth degree. Unless I mm. unless I implement it like Google does, then it's not right. You know what I mean? And mm. and sometimes I think you've got to be a little bit smarter and say, well, I'm not. Our business is not Google. We might have aspirations to grow it to be Google one day, but it's not. So so what's important? to mm. you know for us to measure what's important for us to to plan in our business and and how do we then how do we then do that what's the smartest way to do that to that extent you know we talked about just because you can measure it you know so what right yeah. uh, and and similarly speaking you know like it's not they're not google right these are small to medium-sized businesses unlikely that they have like this massive data warehouse yeah. where they can just pull data out of this obviously data is being pumped into it. It's the, the difficulty or challenge there is trying to extract what meaningful data they can have. They likely don't have any of that. Yeah. So can you kind of share uh, how do they establish that part of the infrastructure to gather the data to begin with? And then how do you talk them through just because you're able to measure it doesn't mean you should. Yeah. I'm sure they're like, but look, we have measurements now. And you're like, uh, so what? Why? So sometimes what we do, so I'm working through this exercise with a with an accounting firm at the moment, and what we've done is cascade. We've set up our, our high-level OKRs. We've then cascaded them down uh, a layer or two in some cases, and we've got a series of, and we've applied different measurements at different points. So we've looked at, um, so I, I like to do a, uh, a thing where you say we've got an objective, a key result, and then what are some of the measures that might help us measure that key result? You know what I mean? So, so um, sometimes it's hard to build the measure into the key result, so I just have separate measures. And then for each of those measures, we'll have a target. Mm. Yeah. So we might have multiple measures for one key, key result, and then we'll cascade those. Well, the, sometimes the target above is not applicable down below, or the measure we use above is not applicable down below so we might have a slightly different measure for the same uh, thing down below at, at the next layer down 
Or alternatively, what I often find is the measure at the high level is, is doesn't tell us enough. This is not, there's not enough detail in that. So for argument's sake, measuring something across the whole firm when we've got different ways of, I guess, with the different products and different services. So, so having a, an overarching measure, let's say if an accounting firm, we might be measuring average charge rate or something else, right? And mm-hmm. Something else. Someone that's fairly useless at a high level, it just gives us a very broad brush look at what's happening. The real, the real measure might be, you know, uh, the next layer down might, where the, the, where that measure really comes to peace, where we look at it on a team basis. We say, well, that team there, what should their target and what should their measure be? And and it might be average average hourly rate is really important in, in that team, yeah? but it may not be important in, say, another team which um, – so I've got, I've got some of these businesses where we might measure uh, hourly – where they might charge by an hourly rate and others might charge by a fixed rate. Measuring the number of hours you put into a fixed rate account doesn't necessarily give you an effective measure sometimes of, of what you're trying to achieve, if you know what I mean. It's, it's largely irrelevant. So we need to have a different measure at that point for the same objective or the same key result, if that makes a little bit of sense. And sometimes at, at a high level, it just doesn't make any sense to have it there. And so sometimes they're blank. We'll leave that part blank, the measurement part, blank at, that, at the high level until we drop it down to another level where we can get a measure that makes sense. So a really good one in a small business is, is staff turnover, right? Mm. So often we measure staff turnover. But if you've got a team of 10 people or 20 people, one or two of them leaving puts a big spike in it, you know what I mean? You've got all of a sudden then you've got 20 or you know, 20, 20% of your staff have left, which is it's a true measure, but does it, is it really that important a measure? And it's a, it's a blip. You go and replace those people and it's back again. So in a big organisation, those sort of things give you, you, under, you can look at trends and you see, well, there's a, they've got a trend now. Staff turnover is starting to ramp up. But in a small organisation, you know, some staff turnover, A, could be desirable and B, um, so what? <laughs> so what you've just turned over 20% in that one month, it doesn't really matter. It could have been, you know, some isolating, some COVID-related stuff or just, you know, people having to move away at the same time or health issues or family issues or whatever. Um, it's not relevant as a uh, effective measure of the culture of the organisation or, or something else. At the end of the day, like you said, it's how do you find a measurement that – let's say a team or the people who are operationally trying to affect change and aggregate, what are they looking at so that they can actually achieve the organizational goals that are set before them? You need to be able to make those linkages. And just because, you know, you can measure something doesn't mean that that would be the appropriate measurement of what it is that you're trying to affect change on. Yeah. So we often measure stuff that's easy to collect, right? So it's often, right. and and sometimes in a small business, it's just too hard to go and collect the right information. We just don't have the, mm-hmm. the data systems in place or the capability to do that. I mean, uh, a lot of the time we, you know, we uh, I start off with these things where we start running them on spreadsheets, you know, so we've got a, a spreadsheet-based system for a while until we work out, as I said, we, we go through a bit of a trial and error thing. So what we'll do is we'll set up some, uh, some OKRs, some measurement systems, that's all good, and we'll set up a manual system um, some simple manual systems to collect that data and just plug them into a spreadsheet. And it's very labor-intensive sometimes until we work out whether the measure's worthwhile keeping or not. So we might run it for three or four months and see if we're getting any trends in, you know, whatever we're looking for. It might be weekly measures we're looking at. And then we'll go, okay, well, that's not told us anything. It's just a flat line or it's got a notebook. Mm. So it's not told us anything. So, so why would we hardwire in the connection systems in for that? 
or mm. it's it's not it's not te- it's not teaching us anything. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but it's really we're not learning anything from the trend or the the number itself, and therefore we'll axe it. So we'll we'll cut that one out, and then we will start again, and then. So we'll, we'll cull our group of, of, of measurements down to something that makes sense and is tangible and try and look at them in different ways. And then we can then go and engage some people to maybe hardwire those into our, into our data system so we can go and collect it far more, far more cost effectively and have some, some moving dashboards and things. But, you know, um, some clients just stick with spreadsheets the whole way because it's actually quite simple to have somebody go and run around and pull 10 reports and 25 numbers out and plug them in and then we're done. You know, the spreadsheet does the calculation for us. So simplicity, I think, is the key. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the thing that I think OKRs provide is this habit of being able to, like you're, I think, describing here, monitoring the business in some way. Like, are we making progress on whatever, right? Because the key results are supposed to be the proxy to define success against that objective. What are you finding is really good I guess, practices with these small businesses, because a lot of the work that they're trying to do is very operational in nature, you know, like reflection is not common necessarily. I would imagine in small businesses or medium-sized businesses as let's say tech, where this is part of the agile methodology is having time for retrospectives and reflecting on how did we do and what are we going to do next? And did we have any impediments? And can we talk through the blockers ahead of time? What are you seeing as as some of the maybe agile practices or maybe not that, but other practices that are benefiting small to medium-sized businesses as they're approaching OKRs and really creating, like you're saying, processes and systems that help them really focus on achievement? Uh, well, I think the first the first point is you you're really correct in saying that that most small businesses and even some larger businesses, I've got to be honest, don't really take the time to stop and and prop and reflect on on what's been going on. And so, uh, you know, often my role in the business is to actually in some ways force them to do that. So sometimes their mm-hmm. sessions with me are the times when they they we stop and reflect and you know ask some of the dumb questions about why did that happen and you know wow you know what's got to change for us to fix mm-hmm. that problem and what's going to get in the way what's going to stop us from moving ahead and sometimes you know people need somebody to ask them those questions because they're not in they don't have teams and stuff to to do that sort of stuff with them so that's probably the first thing is that that i find then that if we we do need to take some of that time to stop and do that and then we need to have a meaningful discussion around it and i think that often we we don't have uh, meaningful measures and measure, meaningful processes for discussing some of these things, and so you know, it's for me, it's I guess the thing in 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 some of these businesses is really let's just you know just take the time to stop and prop and look at the things that we need to look at and have some of those hard conversations about what's going and well and what's not, and pull their heads out of the operational level and be a bit more strategic because often often when we're too busy just doing stuff and we just pick up and do the next thing in business you know so we're racing from one thing to another without really stopping and going hang on a second where are we heading here does that make sense and should we be doing that you know because otherwise you, you know it's too easy to get caught up in that and you know even you know i run a small business and and i've been part of bigger businesses and it's really easy to get caught up in that just doing 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 without actually stopping and going Hang on a second, you know, it's that whole thing, you know, it's not about are we in the right, you know, are we chopping down the right trees, are we actually in the right forest, you know. And uh, so so some of those analogies I think are fairly, are fairly true. Um, but, you know, businesses, I don't think business is particularly complex. And we, I'm not saying it's not hard, but it's not, I don't think business should be complex. 
and and the the tough part of all this i think is how do we how do we engage our people and mm. getting our people engaged and and i think measuring the people side of things is the hardest part in any business because so much of this is subjective you know and how do we measure culture and how do we measure some of these things and how do we measure our values are we actually achieving our values what are the behaviors that drive our values how do we measure those? Some of those are really hard to measure, yeah. And so, and we can spend a lot of time sort of getting lost in in that space as well, trying to measure stuff that that is really great if we get a measure around it, but it's just too hard. And so, for me, lots of people, we need to just be going back to that whole thing of let's simplify things, let's get focused on what we need to do, and let's 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 not get lost in the detail because it's we spend all our time in the detail. So true. And I think that resonates with a lot of people probably across the globe who yeah. have work. Yeah. But, and I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter big business or small business. We tend to do that. We tend to, you know, mm-hmm. the, the first yeah. thing people race to is the detail, you know. And I was, I was talking to some guys this morning and they're lost in the detail straight away. And so we had this, no, 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 let's just stop. Let's just pull it up. We've raced straight to the bottom. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, let's just, you know, I'd say stop and prop. Let's just stop and prop for a minute and reflect Ooh, on nice. this. And let's just, let's just go with that. I think it's alluring because if there is detail to be talked about, that means whatever the problem statement or whatever the issue might be or the thing that you're trying to approach is clear. Yeah. And when you're stopping and popping, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, what am I not seeing? What do I yeah. not know? Yeah. And that space is very ambiguous and it's kind of scary because it's ambiguous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who, who yeah. wants to talk through that? It's uncomfortable. You don't know what you're supposed to do or you yeah. don't necessarily have answers there, which is why you're stopping and propping to think through it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think there's a there's a great problem solving tool out of the lean lean industry called a force field analysis, which is a really simple, powerful tool. And um the the key of it is you you ask you know we've got this define your problem and then define the positive things we need to do in order to address this issue and there's going to be people come in and say that's not how you do it but this is the way i do it and then then there's the barriers what's going to stop us from achieving this and that's what we don't often ask ourselves that's why it's so, i mm-hmm. think it's so powerful if i sit down with you and say what are the first three or four things we've got to do to get this project up and away you'll be able to rattle them off and everybody thinks right. of all the things we can do to get it done but very mm-hmm. rarely do we think of what are the barriers that are going to stop us from from achieving yeah from getting this what's going to get in the way and that's you know it's attitudes and all that sort of stuff and it's, there's some great models out there that take that into consideration around change management and that sort of stuff but you know often too often we just overlook those oh i i couldn't agree more there's a project that i painfully this is so speaking to me because i'm having to retrospect on something that i'm working on right now and i'm like had I only done this force field analysis, I would not be where I am right now. Exactly. I mean, it's fine. There's recovery work that's happening. But I think it would have gone so much smoother yeah. if I had thought, wait, what could have stopped us from making progress? Oh, these things. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But now you've learned. And yeah. it's fine. It's but, fine. I, but I think that's also part of human nature. And basically, we're, we're, we're positive people, right? So we're optimists. Mm. Mm-hmm. And particularly entrepreneurs are very op- optimistic people. So, so we're 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 you know it's always going to go this. You know, we're, business is going to be the next Google. Don't don't get it get it in my <laughs> way. But we don't think about what's going to what's going to stop us from getting there. And absolutely, and, and have those hard conversations with. Okay, so you know you may not be the next Elon Musk. You know, think about it. You know, your, your business is this big. Do you really want to be that big? And what's going to stop you from getting there? And mm-hmm. yeah, access to capital, a whole sort of things, going to stop you. So you mentioned the people bit is like kind of that's a difficult thing to measure and that it's important to have your people come along with 
you that they're engaged is the word that you used. Are there any like methods, tactics, tools that you have employed and are working with your leaders uh, to kind of put, have a pulse check on the health of the organization, on the engagement of that organization? Is there anything that you're willing to share out of your secret toolbox of, <laughs> uh, of stuff? Because I'm sure it. if I put my arm in it, like I would lose my whole body because you have so many tools available. So I'm curious. I really think that what people want most in at work and to be engaged is to get clear feedback on on how they're performing and how they're going and and, and to give be able to give that feedback on to even to how they how some of their team members are going. So while I'm not a huge fan of 360 degree reviews because I find you're going to have quite a quite a mature organisation that is ready for some uncomfortable truths for that to work well, and I've seen it go. We've seen it going really well. I've also seen it really badly. So I tend to shy away from it a bit. For me, the they're too far apart, and um, and quite often those performance reviews we're picking up the five percent of things that people do wrong and spending an hour talking about it instead of the ninety five percent things they they do right. So I find them very adversarial, and and I've not enjoyed them as a manager or as an employee ever. And so what I found was if if we have uh, far more regular conversations about performance and how people are going, and I call them circuit breaker meetings, um, and they're just a simple, you know, uh, every month to two months we just catch up and have a 10, 15-minute chat around what's going well, what's not going well, what could we do better, where are the gaps for you in terms of skills, knowledge, behaviour, and, and we get a chance to talk about it as instead of this sort of convoluted process of you score yourself against 27 different elements and that sort of stuff. Now, I'm not saying performance reviews aren't, uh, aren't a useful tool, and and often they do, but I but I don't think they can be the be on the end. Or what we're talking about is the health of an organization or the health of the engagement of an individual to that organization. Frequency matters. That's what that's what we're saying here. Is the totally. more we can frequently look at our measurements, hopefully the measurements that do matter, those metrics we can see, are we making any progress? And then similarly at the individual level, if we want to talk through engagement. It really is about that frequency of check-in to say, hey, are we doing okay, like you said, across yeah. these different things in terms of expectations so that you can write things earlier rather than wait from for what feels like and actually is, I think, an arbitrary time horizon where it's like, oh, every three months, six months, one year, that's when we yeah. do it just because everyone does it that way. It's, yeah. you know, it, it it's too long you know, before you can actually suss out whatever it is that might be wrong. Yeah. And then, like you said, you're filling in a block on a piece of paper or some sheet, you know, and then sending it in because that's what's mandated and it doesn't need to be that way. Right? Yeah, it just seemed to me like we were waiting six months for you to tell me I'm, I'm not doing things the way you want them done. And why, why wouldn't you have that conversation with, with me sooner? Yeah, but I, I think that's really important. I think those those notions of frequency and stuff are important in business and, and looking at, you know, uh, personal, you know, individual targets and measures and those sort of things are really important. So so what are the key measures of performance for you? But sometimes they're not things we can measure day to day. Sometimes they're outcomes that we're measuring in terms of project completion or milestone dates and those sorts of things, which aren't necessarily easy to measure in a measurement system where you can aggregate them. You can look at it at an individual level and say, right, Russell, how are you going in this? In this, and you had this project to do. Where are you up to with it? Those sort of things. That's relatively easy to do at an individual level. Much, much harder to aggregate that up into in a you know corporate level and look at the the dashboard on high and going fifty two percent of our projects are at correct milestones. You know, and so what? Because one project, you know, some of those projects could be tiny little projects. 
and two of them could be massive projects that, that chart the, f- the future of the business. And we just average them all together. The, the one thing I kind of want to circle back on, so you've been working with these wonderful family businesses that have you know quite a bit of turnover. We had talked about it. It's probably in the 2 to 20 million turnover mark. They've hit this plateau and they're looking at you and they're like, Russell, now what? Now what, what am I supposed to go do? Can you talk us through like the the journey that you have with your clients when they approach you and they're, you know, as far as they're concerned, they're really successful. I mean, if I were sitting on top of a 2 million to 20 million turnover business as an individual entrepreneur, you know, even if I had a small partnership, I think that I'd be excited, but then you like, you want more, obviously you want to do more. And so, you know, can you talk us through like, what are they thinking through what are some of their sticking points or their challenges? I know we've kind of covered a lot of that during the course of the episode, but if you can kind of talk through some narrative or stories of, of things that you're seeing and then seeing the success also like of, of what you're doing with them, because I think that's what's exciting. And like you said, we're optimists. We want to hear stories of, of, of these things so that we can say and, and click on the I believe button again. You know, For me, it's a little bit about attitude is a really important part. But the reason why I like that sort of, you know, two to 20 mil space is they're big enough to have some some leverage and some staff so that we can actually make some changes and implement things. They're also uh, normally got some resources to work with um, and and that's, that's a bit useful at times. And then I guess the other thing is that they've been successful to some point. And so often I get involved because they've reached a point where their business has plateaued. So they've either uh, run out of management capability or something else or just lost interest or lost their way or, or whatever and it's a whole heap of reasons for why the business is often plateaued but but, but they've they've reached this point and sometimes they just need um, somebody like me to come in and work with them to help them you know reassess where they want to go and where they want to do and for me the process is really you know uh, um, is is really around setting a clear plan for where you want to want, want to be so I find too many businesses and I've been in some really big businesses that don't have a very clear plan yeah, we have a rough idea in our head of where we're going and, and often these people are extremely entrepreneurial and very, very capable and have built these quite amazing businesses. But without a clear plan, they struggle then to communicate where they're heading and when they're going with their people and that's where we start to run out of traction often. So, mm. so, so I normally will start with that front end point of let's set a clear plan and sometimes um, the level of planning that I do with some with smaller business versus larger business will, will vary. So so I, I have a process that I work through, a simple process, what I call a simple strategy process, where in four hours we get some traction and really tight little plan for, for moving ahead. And then that just highlights the areas we need to work on. And so, um, but I'll always go back and make sure we we think about things like uh, vision, uh, mission, uh, values, those sorts of things. And and OKRs fit into that part for me. Setting some clear objectives for the business that's that's a critical part of what I call your str- you know, your strategic foundations. Mm-hmm. So I like to make sure we've got the strategic foundations really nice. And then on top of that. We then focus on things, you know, sort of the, the key things in business, you know, marketing and sales are absolutely critical. We've got to drive those. Otherwise, otherwise we just don't keep generating revenue. And, right. and, and my argument is cash papers over a lot of cracks. So, so you're better off to, to ramp up sales, even if you're not super efficient. And I'm not saying not profitable, but if you're not super efficient, you know, just ramping up sales um, will often just give you a lot more cash flow, which means then you can you can then got some money to go and invest in things that might improve your efficiency. Um, you know, so so starting with the marketing and sales and ramping that is pretty important. 
getting your team on board with how we're going to execute that is really important. And then you can start to put some of the, the lean manufacturing or the lean stuff into some of the manufacturing or a service business or even an agricultural business into, into starting to, to look at our processes and systems and how we can be more efficient and more effective. When you're working with these small businesses, they're coming to you and they have hit that plateau. Yeah. And, you know, how are you seeing them from the initial issues that they're having? And you kind of talk through that to yeah. the transition of, of applying a lot of the the tools and these frameworks oh, yeah. that, that you have to seeing that implemented and then, you know, the success kind of talk through, you know, some of the success stories and you started with, well, you've kind of have to start with me from a successful point to begin with. Like if you're about to close your business down, we're not going to go to you, obviously. And so you're starting with them where they probably have a lot of health. Uh, If you look at their metrics, whatever they might be monitoring, they're healthy, right? But they're stuck. Yeah. And they need to get to that next level. They're not sure what to do. They they approach you, uh, and and shift is is part of uh, you know their journey. And you take them from A to wherever. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to hear. I guess is okay. Some of those happy stories, yeah, okay. if you will, because so, yeah, there are entrepreneurs out there that want to hear like you know you can't you can get past the, your point that you are today. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. And here are some examples of. Of what you've seen. Okay, so I mean, there's some some great examples, and um, I need to be a bit careful so that we don't talk about anything sure. that might people might regard as confidential. But you know, uh, a client of mine in the food sector, we we grew that business quite exponentially by we grew it from about three times just by focusing on going back to our major clients and and understanding what they really wanted and delivering a product that they really really that they really wanted and and other people were saying to them no we can't do it and we just had that can do attitude and said okay we'll do it and so we did that picked up a whole heap of market share from doing that we're only small still but we picked up they gave us all the work that we that we could handle so we we took that business the interesting part about that business was we also worked out that our production model our operational model and the way we'd structured our contracts with that large client wasn't wasn't in our best interest. And uh, and the bigger we got, the more painful it got for us in many ways. And so we mm. we went back mid midstream and renegotiated um, a completely different business model. So we sat down and said, "This business model is not working. There was too much variability in it for us, and therefore we had to take that variability out for us. And, and some of that variability was driven by the client. So, so we were saying, "Well, let's take that out. That's your problem if you want to do that. That shouldn't be our problem. We shouldn't be wearing the cost of that." And so we we mm. changed our business model around. So that not only then did we ramp income through, but we 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 drove profitability. We really lifted profitability. To the point where, you know, the by the time we'd finished, sort of three years later, the profit we were making was more than our income to start was when we started. So it was a, it was a great turnaround. Uh, but the best part of that was that my my client originally came to me because he he hadn't had a holiday in ten years. He and his wife had not had what? a decent holiday, so they'd had the odd week or something here and there. In Australia, we get like four weeks holidays a year as normal, you know. So, mm-hmm. so but they hadn't had a decent holiday of any extended period for a very long time, and so that was one of his key metrics. <laughs> one of the key measures we set up in the business was how many games of golf he played a week and how many um, how many holidays he and his wife had. And so that, we got to the point where they could take three months off and travel overseas and do some of the things that they wanted to do. And uh, you know, it was it was amazing time. And yeah, so so. 
you know, that's a that's a good story of just sitting back and thinking through the business and saying, okay, well, what are we going to do to grow this? And and the first thing we had to do was talk to our clients and understand their needs. And and often we think we know what our clients want, but we don't really ask them ever. And so we sat down and asked our clients, said, what do you really want? And they said, well, if you can do this, we'd really want that. And we went, okay. We can do it. And we worked out we couldn't do it profitably. Then we had to go back and renegotiate that. But that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we'd built the trust with the client that we could deliver and we were we were genuine and authentic. And then they, they took us up on that. So that was a bit useful. And now this uh, this person is golfing and has had a proper yeah. vacation to boot. Yeah. So that's... That's a win-win. Yeah, it's great. So it's a great story. I guess other businesses I've been involved in, I do lots of work with service businesses. And so I've worked with some consulting businesses where we've grown them extremely rapidly. Um, just, a, again, by, uh, I think, in, in service-based businesses, one of the key downfalls in those industries is often we're technically really good technicians at what we do and we're really lousy at selling it. And so mm. we, we, we really worked on sales processes and we had the, the senior people in that business really focused on 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 sales, if you like, um, because they were the ones that had the connections and the experience and everything else. And so a large proportion of that business was based around improving sales. Um, and once we got the sales up, then we could bring in, bring in people behind that. Um, and we looked at changing our – we changed the business model, the way we employed people. So we moved from, from employee models to contractor models, which were far more profitable and took the risk out of it. For, for us of having employees sitting there and not having any work for them, but allow us to scale rapidly. Yeah? So we scaled really rapidly. Um, a lot of those employees got paid a lot more money than they did as employees. So, so a lot of those contractors, sorry, got paid a lot more money as employees because we were able to effectively utilize them and plug them in. But they also took the risk. If there was no work, then they didn't get paid. But but quite often we were able to pay them quite handsomely um, because everything they did for us was uh, was something or well, for that client was was chargeable. So so looking at you know business models and those sort of things are really important as well. So how do we actually do business and what are the constraints around that? Um, too often we mm. just follow the this is what everybody else does you know and I, I think business is a great opportunity to, to be different and just copying what everybody else does I think is a recipe for disaster well not for disaster for mediocrity yeah mm. so if you want to be mm. exceptional you got to think you got to do something a bit different yeah and not just for difference's sake but you really got to have a good hard look at what you do and why you do it and how do we then how do we then come up with something that's a bit smarter and a bit and a different way of doing things Right. And that people would actually want, as you had mentioned a few times now, that people would want to actually buy, that they would want to adopt or yeah. use your service or what have you. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's the proof. Yeah, exactly. That someone would actually put down money or time or whatever the measurement is of investment, because that's what's happening in that yeah. exchange. And then, you know, kind of tying back to an earlier point that you made, which I thought was really lovely, I think it's an important gem to kind of highlight is it's it's one thing to talk about efficiencies, but it's much better to do that after you've proven that whatever it is that you're trying to offer or sell actually is meaningful in the market. Yeah, definitely. Because the, the market is merciless. And if you're optimizing for efficiencies in maybe business processes, but your offering isn't compelling, then it, you're optimizing for something that no one's going to care about one, and, and unfortunately, your business is likely going to either plateau and die, yeah. uh, or maybe some miracle happens, but that's unlikely. Yeah. 
So better get some money in the bank, see that, you know, people are actually doing what you think that they're going to go do with whatever it is that you're going to sell or offer, uh, and then work on optimization and efficiencies later because you know that you have something that's winning, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. a really good example of that is uh, an accounting firm I work with. I, I did some work with, and they, um, I don't currently work with them. The, the gentleman's actually sold the practice and moved on, but a really sharp mm-hmm. accounting group. And um, But they were, <laughs> they were starting to measure how, how, how long they were taking in sales meetings with clients and trying to get that time down. And which is an interesting concept. So they're going, you know, I close that one in 27 minutes sort of stuff. And I'm sort of saying to them, hang on a second, but you, we offer a whole range of services. You just sold that one thing. You just sold tax. You know, there's a whole heap of other stuff that we could sell that, that the client might have a want for or a need for. And you mm-hmm. didn't bother to explore that in the sales process. And so we expanded mm-hmm. the sales process. So it took, you know, twice as long, up to an hour, maybe sometimes a little bit more. Um, with clients, but we fully understand, stood what their needs were, and then we're able to offer them a, a solution to, to those needs, often at two or three times uh, the, the, the fees that we would have got from just selling tax. And the, the argument is, well, we'll get them in the door and we'll sell them on the first thing, and then over time we'll build a relationship with them and then we'll be able to sell them the other things. But but I think that's a flawed strategy in lots of times, that sort of let's get them in the door and, you know, tie them down as quick as we can. I think you're often better off to actually understand the client's needs and offer them a full package of services rather than a, a one-off and hope to sell them bolt-ons later. And that's the strategy. Yeah, because they won't even, they don't even know, right? Because yeah. they've now seen that this is what you do. And in their calculus, they're like, yeah. but that's what you do. Yeah. So to try to transfer that and say, oh, but that's not all we do. We wait, there's more. Yeah. And it's like six months, eight months, nine yeah. months later, you're like, no, you do tax, right? Yeah, exactly. So it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And then they're like, but why aren't we growing the business? Because they, all they know you to do is tax. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. So tell them, yeah. tell them what you do yeah. and so see what happens. You just sold yourself as an accountant. You've not sold yourself exactly. as a business advisor, holistic business right. advisor. So it's, so I think lots of businesses right. fall over right. in trying to be too efficient. And sometimes they're too efficient in the wrong time. So so my yes. argument is the the face-to-face time you have with clients is is where you need to be the least efficient. You need to, that's your relationship mm-hmm. building. And I'm not saying be waste with your time but it shouldn't sure. be about get them in the door and out as quick as you can unless that happens to be a business model but but it should be about let's take the time to build slightly better relationships and deeper relationships with our clients and then when we're when we're not um lots of rugby analogy but when we're not on the ball when when we're when we're playing off the ball that's when we get efficient so when we're mm-hmm. when we're mm-hmm. um, you know the back the back end and the, as soon as we walk out the door the efficiency can come in how we process that information how we do it and how we get it and get it back to the client quickly and you know using a lot of technology or what do we need to do to do that that's when that comes in but the face to face stuff with the client I think needs to be well it doesn't it's not always the case but in lots of cases it should be the the relationship building time it's the time when you spend more time with people because that's when you get the bigger payoff. I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I think that ties in so lovely, uh, you know, in a lovely way, similar with like a manager and their direct report, right? In the one sense, sure, you can collect a survey and that's optimizing for efficiencies there, right? Yeah. Because in aggregate now, I know that 60% of our organization is happy. Yeah. Okay. But the real magic happens when you can get people engaged in doing what you think is the right thing or they think it's the right thing to do and they're doing it well, you know, and they are unblocked and are able to actually execute against whatever. Uh, But that takes work. Yeah. 
it takes investment, you know, in the every month, two months, and you're saying, hey, how's it going? Like, rather than here, we're really efficient. We only took X amount yeah. of minutes of everyone's time every six months in the survey, and we got this result. Yeah, like, exactly. The, the, to me, the trade-off is very similar. Like, you end up sacrificing what could be upside potential because you're optimizing or making efficient things that really shouldn't be made optimized. Yeah. Or and I, I think that that flows into something. I, I sort of, I see that too many businesses, we, we often cut too much middle management mm. because the middle management are often the people who are spending the time with the workforce. And if they're, if we, if they're coaching and building and mentoring people and growing them and developing them, which is what we want in our culture, that takes time. And therefore, but what happens is in the, in the, you know, we, we start looking at, I'm using inverted commas, efficiency. We start to focus on efficiency. We start to tick, well, those guys aren't that productive. Let's get rid of them. But, but then what are we putting in place to ensure that, that our people are, are still looked after and engaged and all those sort of things? So, so what are the processes and the systems we've got to put in place to replace that labor if you're not putting it in place? And it's, sometimes it's hard, you know, and we people, people like, like people um so you know we we like engaging with people and we we we, we in, most people enjoy that so it depends on the person is of course but um yeah so i often think we we cut too hard in those areas not thinking about how do we how do we get them the best out of our team the best of our team comes from having some leadership and some structures in, in place we're gonna wrap up here with you know some quick fire questions i have a few that i i'd love to ask you and hear your opinion First, what do you appreciate most about your team? I, I've got a small team, um, a virtual team actually, and what I really appreciate about them is their commitment to me and my business. They are amazing people um, and I, they nothing is too much trouble for them, I've, I've got to say. Um, both of them are excellent. And uh, as a result, uh, it just makes life a lot a lot better. And, you know, mm. we're a small business, so therefore we need to be flexible. And there are times when we're trying to get things done in a hurry and if they're going to stick to nine to five or whatever, then that doesn't happen. But, you know, uh, it's a bit of give and, give and take in that. So I think that's what thing I like about them is that commitment and that authenticity that, that comes with that of saying, okay, we can do this. And for me, that's then about give and take. Yeah. Because I can't be all take, take, take. I've got to be able to give as well. Uh, second question, what is your greatest dream? And if there is one, it's associated deadline. I, I, um, I've reached a point in my life and I like riding my motorbike more than anything else at the moment. So uh, my, my dream involves largely around riding motorbikes around Australia. But um, from, from, a, awesome. yeah, from a business point of view, I guess my, my, uh, my dream, uh, if you want to call it that, my, my vision is to actually um, uh, work with um, a lot more uh, small businesses in Australia and add a lot more value. So, so for me, it's about how can I uh, leverage my time and my energy into as many people as possible to get the best results. Mm. And for me, that's not all about online and uh, is it, it's a combination of things, but, but for me, that's, that's about that. Uh, the deadline for that, uh, you know, probably I, I would say I haven't set some clear deadlines for, for that sort of milestone, but that's my dream. I, I'd give myself another, you know, another five years of intensive work and then I want to be able to back off a bit. So, so that's me. Very cool. Third question. Yeah. So you've had quite an extensive range of uh, clients to date. Uh, maybe you can describe one where 
maybe they were successful. You kind of got into it and you're like, wait a second, what's happening? But then you saw like a, an amazing transformation or growth or like great achievement. And it was your proudest moment. Can you kind of describe like one of your proudest moments in working with a, a client? Oh, it's a bit difficult without giving it away I, who, who that person is, I'm afraid. Um, how can I speak about it in generality? So for me, it's, it's, uh, it's about somebody who's, who's grown and developed who didn't think they were capable, um, I think, of, of being the, the leader that they've become. Um, I think that's the easiest way to put it. That, uh, and they've achieved what most people would regard as, as outstanding success in their life. Um, and that all came from them believing, you know, well, not initially believing in themselves, but they didn't think they were capable at the time, but, but helping them to realise that they could, they could actually be that person and then watching them grow into that role has been quite, quite exceptional. Very cool. I'm sure very gratifying too. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love my job. I mean, I, I work with so many amazing people, um, so many businesses that are, that are just growing and developing and, and changing their, the lives of them and their families for generations. It's fantastic. But it just gets me out of bed in the morning, that's for sure. It sounds like something definitely worth getting up for, for sure. So then last question. We've been talking off and on about OKRs. There are a few, probably hopefully a lot of people who are listening in that are interested in this topic. For those who are just starting out, or those who maybe have tried to use OKRs before and maybe were unsuccessful, what is that one piece of advice that you would give them, that one nugget of wisdom? Oh, only one nugget, okay. I, I guess for me it, it's all good things start with a plan, all right? So, so I find too many businesses, I think I mentioned this before, but too many businesses don't have that great plan to start with. And for me it's, it's taking the time to sit down and, and let's build a clear plan for where we want to be um, you know, look at where we are now, where we want to be, and then how we're going to get there. And for me, that's uh, that's probably the the critical thing. We need to have a clear plan that explains where we're going and what we're doing. That in needs to include some measures. I mean, you need to have some measures in there. You need to have some 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 clear actions and strategies that drop out of that. And I think um, OKRs can help in both those places. Um, you know, but um, um, yeah, for me, it's a, I, I don't do anything with my clients without we have a plan for where we're going. I think that's wise because uh, otherwise, what direction are you heading yeah. and where is everyone else going with you if you don't have some sort of idea? Yeah. I think oh. it would end up really confusing. Well, to be fair, lots of, people, lots of people have a plan, right? But the plan is in their head. Mm. Yeah. Right. And therefore, it's not articulated. Yeah. And therefore, it changes. It changes mm. all the time. It's it's not the same plan. It, it evolves over time uh. and it changes. So for me, the act of actually writing it down allows you to critically analyze it to start with, but it also makes it concrete. Right. It takes right. it from being abstract to being something quite concrete and real. So the concrete, real, and then making that commitment and then the execution yeah. behind that, yeah. right, and getting it moving. Yeah, yeah, well, the implementation is the hard part. The planning is the easy right. part. Yeah, and implementation is the really hard part, and that's why I have a job. You know, I, I work with I work with businesses who want to implement their plans. Well, sometimes we're going to develop, we're going to get that plan clear, but they need that support in order to implement. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the no, show, Russell. For it's me. been a complete joy. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it, Jenny. Thank you very much for having me as well. Great, great to talk with you. Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. 
tune in next time.